Hello, friends. Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics podcast. My name is Joe Lynch. Thank you so much for joining us today. On the Logistics of Logistics, I talk to experts in logistics and transportation, warehousing, fulfillment, supply chain, and of course, technology. And during these interviews, I'm always the one asking the dumb questions. I ask the dumb questions so you don't have to. Today's topic is modernizing the warehouse with my friend Andy Johnston. Andy is the Senior Director of Innovation for Geotis, a leading global logistics provider acknowledged for its expertise across all aspects of the supply chain. In the interview, Andy and I discuss labor challenges, wage inflations, competition, and the need to do more with less in the warehouse. Andy and the Geodis team are using innovation and technology to overcome the challenges and better serve their customers. So check out our discussion. So how's it going, Andy? It's going well, Joe. How are you? Doing great. Doing great. Andy, please introduce yourself and your company and where you're calling from today. Sure. Uh, my name is Andy Johnston. I am the Senior Director of Innovation at Geodis uh, in our Americas region, which is North and South America including Canada. And I'm located in the Nashville area, just a, a little bit south, which is where our America's headquarters is. And just a little bit about Geodis for the listeners. We're a leading global logistics provider. We've got expertise across all aspects of the supply chain, transportation, warehousing, freight forwarding, you name it. Uh, Geodis has an offering in that area. We span 170 countries. We've got 49,400 employees worldwide, and we're currently ranked number six in our sector across the world. We've got a very strong presence here in the U.S. I mentioned all the the aspects that we touch there. Uh, Our global headquarters is in Paris, France, uh, and our Americas is here where I sit uh, just outside of Nashville. For Geodis in the U.S. specifically, we operate more than 230 sites in our distribution network, which totals more than 50 million square feet of warehouse space. Uh, And in the region specifically, we span across eight different countries uh, that include the United States, Canada, Latin America. And of the total 49,400 employees that Geodis has worldwide, about 17,000 of those are in the Americas region. So very big company, big presence here in the U.S., and we're excited to service any needs that our customers have in the supply chain space. Yep. And I've said this before on my podcast many times is I'm from automotive originally, and when you're in automotive, and I'm sure this applies also to the big retailers, CPGs, you can't work with small companies if you're a global global player because you need a partner who can when you say oh we're opening up in europe they're like we're there you need us to open it if you need us to build a new building we'll build a new building but we probably got one right there if they need to invest in that relationship they're able to and you don't always have to there's nothing transactional for those big companies they need big global strategic partners and i know geodis is one of those Absolutely. Yeah. It's been huge to offer that international presence to so many of our customers. Yeah. And I think also during the pandemic, and I hope it's over, God, it's been been eight months since I've been talking about it, I think. We had 
people who had stuff stuck at ports. And that's to say Geotis automatically doesn't have stuff stuck at the port, but they have the bat phone. They can call because they have the volume, they have the relationships. But I think also these companies are end-to-end now. So you don't end up having one company in China, one company uh, at the port, another trucking company, and then it gets to your warehouse, and then somebody else. These are companies that can do it end-to-end if they want to. That's right. That's right. That's a competitive advantage that we offer our customers. Yeah, I think we saw during, after the pandemic, some of the big shipping lines buying up domestic transportation companies here. And I think it's with the idea that they know the big companies want end-to-end. Not just big companies. Everybody wants end-to-end, but big companies can demand it. (laughs) Exactly. We're, today, we're going to talk about modernizing the warehouse. And I know that you're, you said your job is in, what'd you say, innovation and what? Innovation. Yeah. Who would have ever thought we'd be talking 20 years ago about innovation in the warehouse? Innovation in the warehouse 20 years ago is we got new shelves. <laughs> we'll get to that. But Andy, first, let's talk a little bit about you. Where'd you grow up? Where'd you go to school? Give us some career highlights before you joined the juggernaut that is Geotis. <laughs> sure. I mentioned I currently reside in Nashville, and that is where I'm from. So I'm a, a rare native who. Whoa, you're was from born there. there and still here. Yeah, absolutely. My family loves it here. Our extended family, a lot of them are also here or just within a short drive. So it's a great spot for us. And then the fact that Geodis is America's headquarters is right in the backyard is a huge perk as well. But I attended the University of Tennessee in Knoxville. Go balls. That's right. Go balls. I have a dual concentration degree in logistics and supply chain and marketing. Uh, Once I graduated from Tennessee, I spent about five years with Pepsi uh, in their sales program, managing different routes for both drugstore, small market, and mass merchant accounts. And then after that, I began working at Geodis, and I've now been there for 11 years, which is hard to believe, but that's a testament to what a great spot it is. But I've had an interesting journey at Geodis. When I transitioned from Pepsi over to Geodis, I was a operations supervisor at one of our facilities here in the Nashville area. Getting to the warehouse at 4 a.m., making sure we're all set up, making sure we've got orders to pick and bringing our teammates in and handling the volume for that day for our customers. I did my operations role there, moved up through the operations organization, uh, transitioned customers and did a startup for a new customer that we had signed on. And then from there, moved into our corporate office and started working with our sales team in the solutions department. In that role, we were taking in data from prospective customers, transitioning that data into financial uh, outlook of what it would cost to uh, do business with Geodis for three or five years. We were designing the warehouse for them of how we would handle their business. And then hopefully uh, after winning that business, helping implement, working with our engineering teams, working with our project management and implementation group there to get the business off the ground. And that after doing that for about four years, that landed me in my current role as leading innovation or senior director of innovation. And what me and my team are doing is we are evaluating our operations 
understanding where we can improve efficiencies or make the lives for our teammates better through the implementation of innovative solutions. A lot of times that's robotics, but it's certainly not limited to that. There's all kinds of offerings out there now that can make our work more efficient, uh, make our days more efficient so that we can get more done uh, in the same amount of time, which is a great uh, asset for our customers. My team works across the entire organization with our WMS and WCS teams, finance, operations, IT integration, networking. We, we touch pretty much everything. So we get a great uh, view of what it takes to run one of these facilities and how to manage change when implementing something like an innovative solution. Yep. I love it. So you're constantly evaluating, taking a look at what's, where the bottlenecks are, where we can get better. And before we hit record, I was asking you what kind of warehouses you have. So could you explain the different types of warehouses that Jodis operates for their customers? Yeah, absolutely. In the distribution space, we are offering both fully dedicated facilities and multi-tenant facilities. We may sign a, a lease on a building that we've got an anchor client there that's occupying 60, 65% of the space. But we also want to fill the remainder of that space with other customers next to them. We'll offer that space to our customers. It's great to be able to do that. But yeah, we have both and within dedicated and multi-tenant. We also serve e-commerce. We do fast-moving consumer goods, consumer packaged goods, healthcare. We have a very broad customer base, which is excellent for us. And we operate in a campus model. We have different campuses throughout the United States and Latin America. So, you know, Dallas, Indianapolis, Inland Empire, Nashville, Eastern and Central PA, where we have clusters of Geodis facilities, which allow us to share our labor that we have within the Geodis network with multiple customers, as long as we're operating on the same platform, which a lot of our customers are. Yeah, just very, I would say, spread book of business and an offering to suit our customers' needs. Yep. So you might have a, I'm assuming, a, like a large company, I'll say like a healthcare company, come to you and say, will you manage this supply chain for us or this logistics function, probably both. <laughs> and you would say, yes, we can open a dedicated, that was what you would call dedicated. And that whole building might be their building run by you, of course. And that's what you mean by dedicated? Correct. Correct. Yeah. The same one customer under one roof. Yep. And I know there's the bigger companies, especially when you get into critical things like uh, life sciences and healthcare, pharma, uh, medical equipment, they do need sometimes dedicated equipment uh, and dedicated training probably for your people. So it's the bar is a little higher in some of those businesses, but that's why they're coming to Geodis. Again, this is where scale matters. That's right. So let's switch gears and talk a little bit about modernizing this warehouse. First off, what do you mean by modernizing the warehouse? Yeah, that's a good question. What I like to tell people at Geodis for us in the Americas Innovation doesn't equal invention, right? I, I am not building robots. My team's not building them. We don't have a workshop or a lab where we're doing that. We're relying on the very intelligent people in the industry that have gone out and done that already. So we are taking tasks that 
are very common among distribution centers and introducing tools that can help our teammates. For example, each picking. What you're going to see in a lot of facilities is we've got a teammate who has uh, a device that's telling them where to go, what to pick, how many to pick, and they may have a cart or a buggy uh, with boxes on it or totes, and they are going to location in the warehouse, just like you would if you were going shopping at the grocery store, right? Fulfilling your list. And they're picking items off the shelf into those totes, moving their buggy from location to location or cart until they complete their orders or their tasks. So very simple workflow, reliable, but tedious and sometimes taxing. So there are solutions out there that we have implemented and many others as well to start to, what we said, modernize that task. So what if I could take the cart away from that person? Or what if I could take that RF device off of their arm and they're just interacting with something like a tablet that makes it much easier to do the job? That's one example. You can also think of truck unloading, both full pallet and loose case. You can think of pallet replenishment, pallet transport, inventory auditing. How do we, today we're going out and we're checking a lot of this stuff manually. How could we use technology that's readily available today to do that same task or to help that inventory control team complete those tasks in a more efficient manner? I love it. I love it. When I was still um, in automotive, I worked on worked with Chrysler on their product development process. And one of the things, this goes back uh, early 2000s, and I remember one of the things we learned along the way, and we, weren't, we were learning it, there was benchmarking across the whole industry. What we were learning was we always want to innovate, but we were innovating on the product timeline. And the problem with that is sometimes it doesn't get done. Innovation isn't necessarily tied to time very well. So you say, we'll have that done by the end of the month. But what I love about what you guys are doing is you're already taking established technology that you've tested. You say, yep, we like this. It's being used in this application. We're going to put it in this location. And I'm assuming you're testing that out, making sure it works before you launch it into other locations. That's right. You're exactly right. That's typically how we start is we'll do a a pilot or a small scale implementation into a live environment. We'll go partner with one of our operations and do that. And once we've gone through those tests and we've proven it and we feel like we're well integrated into that workflow and we understand the best practices, then it's ready to roll out to the broader organization. Yep. I want to take a quick time out to tell you, you can now listen to the logistics of logistics on Wreaths Across America radio. I'll put a link in the show notes. Wreaths Across America provides informational, inspiring content about members of the U.S. Armed Forces, their families, and military veterans. Their mission is to remember, honor, and teach. Wreaths Across America succeeds because of the generous support of the trucking community. Take a listen, and please consider volunteering. Getting back to it, and before we we jumped right in it, but why is this necessary anyway? Why modernize? I think I know the answer, but I want to hear your two cents on it. Yeah, there it's three things I think for us. One is the labor challenges yep. that are out there today, very well documented. The other that's very well documented is wage increases and wage competition. 
And the last is our customers want to do more with either the same or less. It's easy that, hey, I want to push more volume through or my sales are going through the roof, uh, but I don't want to open a new facility, right? I don't want that overhead, that capital. How do we get this additional volume through the facilities that we already have? And I think that's a big piece of it as well. But just to expand a little bit uh, on each one of those points, the labor challenges, just to start, the pandemic made us rethink how we're operating, right? One of the biggest challenges that emerged as a part of that was labor availability, but also reliable labor. During the pandemic, our inbounds, the pace at which we received could be furious one week and nothing the next. We saw that <laughs> you mentioned the, the poor issues that we had during the pandemic, right? Yeah, that was a part of it. So our brands have to adapt in the operations to respond to that, right? So one way to do that is, as, as we mentioned, to supplement the workforce with robotics, uh, which helps us scale that volume and meet the needs for our customers. We've also really struggled, and, and not just Geotis, but just the industry with labor shortages, but also record demand. So that challenge has not only been to recruit employees uh, into our facilities, but once we've recruited them and they're in the door, we want to retain them, right? We don't want to just continue this cycle. So we want to retain them in our facilities. So we feel like modernizing those tasks that we're recruiting them for helps them come in and see, oh, this is different than what I did in my last job. I like this better. I'm going to stay here with Geotis, right? Because the competition is extremely high, especially in these areas, hotbeds of logistics that I mentioned earlier with the limited worker pool. So there's only so many people that live in these areas that are doing these jobs, and we need to make sure that we are providing the best offer for them. Yeah, moving on to the wage increase piece, we mentioned that this technology is supplementing our workforce, right? We're scaling volume, we're dealing with unpredictable demand, and this technology can provide a number of benefits. So it enhances the environment. It's cool to work with robots, right? I like right. this thing that's moving around on its own and I get to interact with it and tell it that I'm done and what I pick. That's a, a fun element of the job. And we're also relieving them of, of the tedious tasks, as I mentioned, like pushing the cart around or reading a green screen on an RF device to try to figure out where I'm supposed to go next. Now, all I have to do is look for the robot and go pick to that. I don't have to find a location and decode a, a series right. of letters and numbers. So I think also I, when I think of those jobs is if I had a young person in my life and they had a choice to go work in a warehouse, I would say, yeah, go find it. Don't go to some warehouse that just looks at you as a strong back that can walk around all day. Go to a warehouse where you're really part of the supply chain and starting to use the technology that's out there because that feels like a career move as opposed to a meaningless dead-end job where I'm going to hurt my back. <laughs> yeah, you're exactly right. And that, that's what we want to promote in our facilities, not only the ones with automation or modern technology, but everything we want to, I talked about my progression at Geotis, right? I went from a, a supervisor to now leading innovation efforts for the Americans. That's just a testament to how Geotis can help you further your career. And it's the same thing for 
the warehouse staff. You come in, you understand the technology, you understand the processes, the WMS that can lead to a task manager role, a lead role, a supervisor role, up to a facility manager or, or ops manager. So those opportunities are there, no doubt. We're constantly looking for the best talent out there and want to develop them in our facilities. Yep. I've said, I've talked to a lot of warehousing people on the podcast uh, over the last five years. And one of the things, no one's corrected me. I, I heard that the average warehousing company has one location that worked before same day, next day. <laughs> Doesn't work so well now. I'm sure there's still applications where it works just fine. But if you have one location, you don't have an innovation team that is evaluating operations and saying, how can we get faster, better, less expensive, less taxing on our employees, a better job? I think we're going to find ourselves, and I say this often on my podcast about technology, we're finding ourselves in a place of haves and have-nots. At some point, Geotis and others who are investing in the technologies that they have the money to spend on technologies, they're going to be so much better and so much more efficient that it's going to be like, why are you working with that guy? They don't have, they don't, they can't keep up. Yeah. Yeah. And that's one of, one of the things I'm most proud of in, in my career and in this current role is the reputation that me and my team has, have helped build for Geodis as being a leader in that sector understanding that's where the industry is going and being relatively early adopters of technology so that now on things like this podcast, we're able to share our expertise and experience and help those that are just beginning the journey. Yep. I told you this the other day when we talked in, but it, I think it's relevant to our conversation. When I started in automotive in the 80s, it seems a million years ago, if you walk through an assembly plant or production facility, you saw a lot of very difficult jobs that when you went home at the end of the day, you were dirty, sweaty, tired, maybe even hurt. Long-term injuries from crouching or standing on tiptoes or lifting heavy things. That was normal. We had that all the time. If you walk through an assembly plant today or even a production facility, you'll see very little of those type of work. Those people, they're more technicians who are making sure the technology is working right. And they're usually not getting dirty, sweaty, tired. It's still hard work. Right. I'm not saying it's not, but it's not hard work that is going to put you on your back because you're lifting all day or walking 10 miles a day. And that's what I think warehousing has to get to that same level. And I don't think all of them, I don't think all the warehousing companies have the, the wherewithal. They can't get there, but Geotis and by the way, we know Amazon is automating, but I think they have 150 locations. I think only two were really automated. So it, it's it, if Amazon can't come up with uh, 150 locations that are uh, automated, it tells you there's a there is a challenge, not only technology wise, but probably investment wise on that. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. So what is getting automated? Yeah. Great question. To summarize that answer in its simplest form. And we've mentioned it a couple of times. We're using robotics to serve our customers to solve specific challenges. That's a key word, specific challenges, or increase our capabilities. So let's break that down a little bit further. So which workflow are we trying to solve? I mentioned all the one, everything that's happening in the facility at the same time, right? We want to target a certain one of those workflows for this technology because 
if you go to a trade show, something like a Promat or a Modex, and you walk through those doors, you're immediately just overwhelmed by everything that is there. And if you're not careful within 30 minutes, you're totally lost. You're looking at all this cool stuff that's going on around you and these humanoid bots. And before you know it, it's the end of the day and you don't really know what you've looked at. It's just been a bunch of cool stuff. What are we trying to solve? Are we going after each picking, e-commerce each picking? Are we going to go after case picking? Are we going to go after truck unloading? So once you've figured that out, you want to understand the details of that workflow. Okay. So let's just talk about each picking. I think that's probably the most popular and where a lot of our labor is, and probably many of our customers and competitors, that's where their labor is. So what does that work look like? How big are the orders? And by big, I could mean both unit count and physical size. So there may be orders that physically don't fit on certain solutions that you're looking at or they're too heavy. What does peak season look like? That's a podcast in and of itself, right? That's very different than the right after peak season, isn't it? Oh yeah. So are we one and a half times a, a normal day? Are we two times, three times? How do we build this solution or implement this solution to handle both non peak and peak? What are these orders? Are they e-commerce? Are they business to business orders? Different customers may have different profiles. We learned that. We know that is as part of our normal day-to-day operation. But when we started looking at opportunities for case picking, collaborative robots and case picking, that was an interesting thing to bring to the table is, okay, in an e-commerce account, I've got 1.5 units per order, one unit per line. Pretty much every order is going to look like this. There's a few outliers, but if you look at the bell curve, that's where a lot of that stuff falls. Now I'm going to move over to this B2B partner and they're shipping full cases of product to resellers. And it's, okay, what does your order profile look like? And the answer you get is, depends on the day. Depends on who we're shipping to. Because Amazon wants this subset of SKUs and Lowe's wants this subset and Home Depot wants this subset. And then Target wants it like this. And there's these requirements and that's this doc process. It's wow. Okay. So we got multiple solutions. We got to figure out here. And then the last thing I would say on what does the work look like is, am I just capturing what product this is to tell to the customer? But then you look at something like a healthcare space or the life sciences, like we were talking about. Now I've got serial numbers. I've got expiration dates. I've got lot numbers. I've got country of origin, all this stuff that I need to capture. So can I capture all of that as a part of the process? That Those are, once you've figured out the workflow, okay, that's the big part. But then what are the finer details of that? What does the process look like today? And how do we transition that to the robotic solution or the technology that we're looking to implement? Wow, it's, it's involved, I know. But I'm, I'm assuming at the end of all this, for every one of your projects, you're able to look and say, this is how much faster we got. This is how much higher quality we are, potentially less expensive. So each one of these, every one of your projects, I'm assuming has some sort of, this is the return on this investment. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's one of the main things that we look at before we even sign the paper, right? We want to put together that full business case. 
why do we need to do this? What is the opportunity? What is our return on investment? When are we going to see that? I mentioned when I was talking about my role in solutions, the three to five year mark. We are a third party logistics company. So we're signing agreements with our customers initially for three years, five years, seven years. Now we fully expect to extend those, but we want to make sure that there's a return for both Geodis and for our customers within our current contract period, right? If we've got 30 months left and we've got a return in 50, that doesn't really do anybody any good. So we want to make smart financial decisions and smart operational decisions, both for ourselves and for our customers. And then once we've past that hurdle, right? There's all the KPIs you mentioned, right? What is our new productivity going to be? How is this going to help us with turnover? How fast can we now ramp um, new teammates when we bring them on? Is this an easier thing to learn than what they were doing previously? So yes, all of that plays into it. Yep. I want to take a quick time out to tell you about my friends over at Greenscreens. That's greenscreens.ai. Greenscreens is a dynamic pricing technology for the truckload spot market that delivers buy and sell side market intelligence to help brokers and 3PLs grow and protect their margins. Freight brokers and 3PLs using green screens gain the following advantages. Faster pricing for both buy side and sell side transactions. Pricing that is more accurate and more likely to win profitable business. Guys, dynamic pricing is the next killer app. Hundreds of freight brokers are already using it because it enables them to develop faster, more accurate quotes. This is the time. Check out Green Screens in the show notes, greenscreens.ai. Getting back to it, you mentioned the three, five, seven-year relationships, contracts, the agreements you sign with your customers. And this reminds me again is why scale matters, why relationships matters also. I would say especially if you're in something, every supply chain is critical, but some are life savings. Like if you're looking around and saying, we need to find the very lowest cost on this, you're starting off wrong. You need to start off saying, who is the very best? And do they have an approach or process for getting better every year, improving the quality and reducing the cost? And not everybody can say they do that. You guys can. You can say, hey, look, it costs $100, $100 for this day, year one. We expect to bring it down with automation or whatever technology you're using. That's the mindset we have to bring. And again, I think that's a strategic partner that you, you're bringing on. And that means you vet. I think this industry is growing up and realize it, like a group like yours wouldn't have existed 20 years ago. Uh, we need to change the way we look at uh, partners and say, I'm not looking for the lowest cost. I'm looking for the guy who's going to get better every day. You don't get better every day unless you invest in a group like yours. Yeah, you're exactly right. And, and all of that plays into when we go to market to find the partner that we want to help us solve this workflow. There's a ton of options out there once you've narrowed down, even if you want to focus on one specific workflow, there's a lot of companies out there that are trying to solve that, right? What's hot right now? Like trailer unloading is is very hot right now. There's a lot of companies that are trying to solve that. Each picking is, is pretty well established. There's some great partners there, but yeah, we want to go out and we want to find the best partner. And I really hate 
using the word vendor because that's not what I want. I truly want a partner. And I think some of the companies that we've worked with would tell you that and would tell you that's not a lie from me. And that's really what we want. We want to walk that evolution path with them. We want to help them develop their product just as much as they want to help us with the workflow. There's a few things that you want to look for uh, when you're evaluating this. Number one is, I think you're going to get a you're going to get a short list pretty easily by understanding who really understands this workflow and what I'm trying to solve. You can figure that out in in probably like a 15 minute conversation of just asking some very specific questions like, "What size boxes can you handle? This trailer looks really nice, and all these boxes are the same. Can you handle multiple sizes? Can you handle different weights? What's your max and min?" Does the trailer need to look nice and lit up like this so the robot can see the boxes or have you operated in different environments? If you start to hear answers that really speak to your knowledge as an operator, they probably know what they're doing and understand the kind of how they've built their team. Are there a lot of roboticists and data engineers there that may have never stepped foot in a warehouse? I would caution you to that. You need those people. But you also need people that may have been in the space previously that have run an operation, that have seen those trailers backing up to the door, that, that know what it takes to, under, to, to unload the trailer. Get an understanding of what that company looks like. What does their leadership group look like? And then the, the other thing I would say, there, there's two more. One is, I call it the proof of life. So... It's very easy to make really cool videos, right? And it's very easy to build a robot to operate in a lab. With some nice music behind it. (laughs) Oh yeah, that does exactly what you say it's going to do. But when you say, okay, now show me, take me to a facility where this is live. Take me to one of your customers. Um, Let me talk to them. Is it real? And how long has it been operating? What is the, what's their customer's feedback on it? What are some of the stats? What have you seen in the field? I know what it's rated to do, but what can it really do when it's outside right. the lab in, in the wild? We've learned a lot through, through that process of implementing maybe something that we didn't vet as much as we should have. And then we learned more about it as we got to that implementation. And then the last thing I would say, which I think is you're evaluating your partners that's very important, is the cultural fit. We want somebody, like I said, that's going to help us evolve as much as we're going to help them evolve. So what is that relationship like? Are we getting immediately just very transactional and going back to the contract all the time? Mm, That's probably not something that I want to pursue all that much. It's important. You need it. But Let's be willing to have a conversation. Let's stay in the conversation about how we make this product better, not only for Geotis and not only for this customer, but for the industry. Like, I want to help you build a product. So let's partner together and let's do that. Yeah, I love that. I love that. And again, you're, you're looking at your partners, technology partners, the way you want to be looked at by shippers where you're, you're not dating you're not engaged, you're married. <laughs> We're joined at the hip from now on. And it reminds me, I had a guy I worked for one time and I love what he said about this. He said, we're going to work on this contract with this new relationship so much that we're going to get all of it nailed down. And he goes, and when we're all done, we signed it. He goes, legals looked it over. He goes, then we're going to put it in the bottom drawer and we're not going to look at it again. 
And he said, he goes, first off, we know it from now on because we really did spend some time on it. But more importantly, we built a relationship and there's going to be give and take. And by the way, before we hit record, you told me there's a difference between conveyors and what you guys are doing. So please explain, because because I think one thing, I've walked through some warehouses, not nearly as many as you have, and I see conveyors, obviously very important, but that is, that's not what you're talking about here. That's right. That's right. I, I would say it's a difference between automation and mechanization and innovation and robotics. Conveyors and transport systems, parcel sorters, things like that, They've been around forever. They can make certainly make your facility more efficient. And they're a great option if that's something that you need to improve the efficiency in your warehouse or that's the workflow that you want to solve, right? But that's those type of things I would say are handled more by our design engineering teams and continuous improvement teams. My team, I would say, is more on the leading edge of let me look at this technology that's just breaking into the industry. It could be a relatively new company. A lot of the companies we're working with haven't even been around for five years. They're still going through some of their series A, B, C funding rounds. So we're getting in early and we would love to provide them a space to be able to really test out their technology and their equipment. Yeah. And by the way, for them, they really want to work with you because you've got all those (laughs) locations. And when you say... I'm working with Geotis. It it means right. something. Um, has, has the cost of tech these robots has it come down over the last decade? I would say it is coming down, and it, it's starting to stabilize. One thing that I think this industry is doing that makes a ton of sense, especially for third party, is these robot as a service agreements, commonly referred to as RAS, R A A S. And essentially, what it does is it gives you the entire solution robot, software, support, maintenance in one very predictable, easy to budget monthly cost, right? It's going to be this much per robot per month. And that includes all of it, right? So it makes it easy for us to track it. It makes it easy for our operations to manage it and and budget against it. And at the end of that term, whether it's 24, 30, 36 months, you either renew Or you swap out the robot that you have with the new and improved version, because we know this stuff is evolving extremely quickly. I would say it's much more predictable, and that's the commercial structure I think that industry is going towards. That's interesting. I've not heard anyone say that. So that's robotics as a service. And correct. what I like is I think it harkens back to what you talked about relationship-wise. When you have them in the facility. I'm assuming they are responsible for maintenance and for upgrades. And so they're part of your team. By the way, I remember in the past, I'm an automotive guy, you buy tools and stuff and those companies get bought or sold or go out of business. And you're like, that machine we bought has no more history. There's no parents for that. So any fixes was like, oh, let's open it up and see how they built this thing not any way to run a railroad. <laughs> right. <laughs> so right. I know I'm going to lose you here, but I want to hear a little bit about implementation. I know we we didn't talk too much sure. about how. So how do you go about uh, picking these projects and then implementing? So there's some critical steps during the implementation phase, but if I could summarize some of the most important things is we talked about the finer details of the workflow and what those orders look like. 
But while we also want to understand what the site looks like, where are these robots going to be operating? How wide are the aisles? Where are they going to travel most frequently? What does the floor look like? What are the lighting conditions in the facility? Where are the pick fronts and storage areas? What is the electrical load? What's in the building? What is my network infrastructure look like here? Do I have room for another server? Do I have room on my electrical panel to, to bring in the chargers for right. these robots? And these are all things that I've learned uh, along the way. Don't think I knew all this going in. These are all- You learn the hard way on had. these things. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and once you have that established, it's now it's time to get the teammates involved. And this is an overused phrase, but it's so true. It's just communicate, communicate. What are our expectations of this system? What do we want to see when we implement this? So we know the KPIs, we know the success criteria, but then how are we going to do it? Let's have a town hall meeting with our teammates that are gonna work with this technology. Let's tell them what it is, but probably more importantly, let's tell them what it isn't, right? These machines, start showing up in the facility, people can get nervous. So let's talk to them. Let's understand what they're thinking. Let's help them know and understand and align with why we're implementing this, right? This is getting, this is going to make your life better. We want you to keep working here. This is going to make your life better. Spend the time on site. You, you can only learn so much from an AutoCAD, right? Go to the building, walk the floor, Bring your robotics partner with you. Say, I want you to see this facility. Understand what we're doing, what this label looks like, what these boxes look like. And then circling all the way back, right, is now we have to manage the expectations. Everybody wants turnkey. It's not always turnkey, right? Robots aren't going to fix problems with inventory accuracy, okay? If your inventory is off and you tell the robot that the product is there, it's going to go there. If the inventory is not there, it's not going to go find it for you. But you have to be careful. Our pick times aren't what we thought they were going to be because the robots are sitting at these locations. Why? The inventory wasn't there. Okay, that's not a robotic solution problem. That's, a, that's an inventory opportunity that we need to go fix. So help manage those expectations along the way. It's just... Like I said, communicate that, over-communicate it. Understand the why behind the frustration, the excitement, the inevitable frustration, and then get, let's get back to the excitement again. What's that very typical implementing change curve that we see? Yeah, it sounds like you're with the mindset of, we want to under-promise and over-deliver, but that part of that is setting expectations and getting everyone involved because I've been involved in putting stuff in plants before. And you're right. People who are doing the day-to-day -day job, they, they bring invaluable insights that you don't have from your office. <laughs> but also, if they decide, I don't like this, or I, and some of the times they don't like it because they weren't involved with it and they feel a little disrespected because it's their area. And uh, yeah, so if you can't get that buy-in, if you can't get the team all working together, it doesn't work. I, I, I know I'm going to lose you here in a minute, it's Andy Johnson. Final thoughts on modernizing the warehouse. Yeah, it's here. I wouldn't even say it's coming. I would say it's here. Uh, it's very exciting to, to be a part of this movement, not just with Geodis, but just in general. It's really cool to see all the different things that 
these partners are coming up with and understanding more and more about this space as the days, weeks, months, years go on. I'm constantly getting in my news updates uh, at the end of the day, you know, how many billions of dollars this sector is going to be worth in the next three, five, seven years. It's not going away. It's, it's very exciting to be a part of it. I think that we talked about enhancing the lives of our teammates and, and providing them with that career path. We need people to make us successful, right? This is not a lights out warehouse conversation. This is how do we make the lives of our teammates better while improving the service offering to our customers. With that in mind, going into every day, um, it just energizes me. It energizes the team to go out and find these solutions, implement them, and continue to chalk up uh, wins on the board. Awesome. Awesome. I love it. So Andy Johnston, I like to interview smart, interesting people like you who are killing it in the space. Who else should I interview? Yeah, I've got a friend of mine. His name is Phil Archambault. I've been working with Phil basically since I came into my role as the innovation leader for the Americas at Geotis. Met him through one of the companies that we were working with. He was in kind of their sales and partner relationship department. And he and I have just maintained a friendship over the years. And I think he's got an excellent understanding of not only the robotic space, but also warehouse and distribution and what pain points the industry is facing. Really great guy. Awesome. Knows a lot about the space. I, I highly recommend uh, reaching out to him. Where's he work? Phil's currently with Boston Dynamics. Oh, cool. Maybe you'll get me one of those crazy dog horse robots I've seen running around. <laughs> there you go. I, I, it can't be that expensive. I know we'll see you at all the conferences. I know we don't have a, the definitive list, but um, you can pretty much be assured that at any major um, conference, you'll see the fine folks from Geotis. Absolutely. Yeah, nothing on, on the docket at the moment, but geotis.com um, can get you all the information that you need. You can also find us on LinkedIn as well. Yep. I'll put a link to your LinkedIn profile, a link to all the other links that your marketing team gives me so we can reach out and talk to you about Geotis and also modernizing the warehouse. Thank you so much, Andy Johnston. Thank you, Joe. Pleasure to talk to you. Yep. And thank all of you for listening to my podcast. Your support's very much appreciated. Until next time, onward and upward. You have been listening to the Logistics of Logistics podcast, where we engage with leaders in the logistics and supply chain community. If you like what you hear, please subscribe, hit the like button, and leave us a nice review on Apple or Spotify or wherever else you listen. Also, please check out our videos on YouTube and connect with us on LinkedIn. We're very big on LinkedIn. And you can also reach us on the logisticsoflogistics.com, our website.